the largest barrier anyone has to get over is themselves. And that's it. And, you know, I have friends that are like, oh, but like, I don't know how to draw. Like, oh, like my extent of drawing is stick figures. And you just have to ask them, like, have you tried drawing for a month straight, an hour a day? Have you tried practicing? Hi, folks. I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is the Emergency Mind Podcast, a space where we bring together lessons from the emergency department and beyond about performing when it matters the most and applying knowledge under pressure. We have two guests this episode, Kent Yoshimura and Ryan Chen. And these guys are true polymaths, and they are absolutely dedicated students of human performance across a variety of disciplines, including the martial arts, entrepreneurship, athletics, and art. Aside from all of that, they are the co-founders of the health and wellness company Neuro that has a mission statement of trying to do more and helping people become the best versions of themselves. Kent, who serves as the CEO of Neuro, has a degree in neuroscience from UC San Diego. He's a multimedia artist, a filmmaker, and a qualified muralist who works with the Department of Cultural Affairs in Los Angeles. As a martial artist, he's competed internationally in both Muay Thai and Judo, and trained with the Japanese Olympic Judo team as well as the Japanese Royal Guards. Ryan, who serves as the CFO of Neuro, holds degrees in economics and chemistry from UC San Diego, and was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2019. He holds a black belt in kendo, and after becoming paraplegic as a result of a snowboarding accident, he is trained with the U.S. Paralympic racing team. Singly and severally, these guys are awesome. And our conversation in this episode ranges from entrepreneurship to emergency medicine to how discipline and self-experimentation are crucial to becoming a high-performance human being across multiple disciplines. Before we get to the episode, a reminder to sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter. It's called Knowledge Under Pressure, it's free, it's awesome, and it gives you a much deeper dive into a lot of the concepts that we talk about here on the podcast. You can subscribe at emergencymind.com slash sign up. Okay, all of that said, let's get to the episode. I hope you enjoy. Kent and Ryan, I am I'm so happy that you guys are coming on the show to, to talk with me. I'm super psyched to dig into this stuff with you. Just uh, just welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Likewise, stoked. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We already found out we have connections with each other. Like, yeah. So. The world, world. world is small. Absolutely. Ooh. Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I was reading up about you guys and, and just sort of following from afar uh, the pretty incredible arc of your story as you've been building this company. And, and it just strikes me how, um, how both of you in so many phases of your lives have been students of performance, uh, both in terms of your, your current role and then all the things you did to get there. Um, and I guess I'd ask, like, how did that start? When, when did you start really being not just a person who does something, but like really a student of human performance? I guess as a kid, I didn't even think about the performance aspect of it. My, my, you know, our parents just like threw us into, you know, sports to kind of be, a, a way to channel a lot of that extra energy so for me um, you know my parents put me in uh, or my dad put me in golf at, at really young age like five and then my mom put me in kendo which is like a japanese martial art uh, following kind of like the principles of like the samurai from five years old and and that kind of carried on till you know i was like in middle uh middle school through high school when i was living in japan as well and um it kind of just stick, stuck with me and and ran cross country and track in high school so it's like a pretty awesome experience for me and Kent's, Kent's had a crazy background too. Similar, I think similar, like. Similar yeah, I would story. say it's similar. Maybe it's like the, the Asian parent, but my dad was working all the time. Uh, so she was, she was gone. And then my mom was working as well. So the only option they had for, you know, uh, taking care of me was putting me into karate for daycare or 
it, it was either karate, music, or art. Those were like the three things that I was doing um, after school until they got out of work. And uh, throughout that process, it I just got so deeply ingrained with any of those three things because that's all that I had to do <laughs> that it, it just carried on into, into every aspect of my life. And with something like martial arts, you know, it's it becomes more of a way of life rather than just the practice after a certain amount of years. And uh, as within my formative years, at least, it, it became something that was that that began to shape me much, much deeper. Hmm. And I, I know I'm I'm eternally grateful to my martial arts instructors when I was growing up for helping me make that transition away from, hey, this is a this is a skill like here's how you execute a, you know, a whatever block to like, here's how you think about learning. Here's how you think about yourself. Here's how you think about growth right. and development. Did, did you guys have discipline like that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Discipline was a huge aspect that I didn't realize at like a young age mm-hmm. or like you know, respecting your elders and like learning and, you know, being mindful and respectful. And I think that carries to a lot of different disciplines and like different areas of study as well. I was the one that like always wanted to fight with like the older kids in class. And I think eventually it came to a point where it, I I had to calm down a bit as a, especially for school and every other aspect of my life. You're totally right. The discipline, uh, not just to sort of execute on a day-to-day basis, but to put yourself in situations that are hard and, and the discipline to keep going through them like that is a, a huge gift of martial art. Did, did you guys have coaches and teachers in that that were really uh, explicitly guiding you through the sort of more internal aspects of that? Or was that something you absorbed from the older students? Kent, perhaps as you were beating them up, tough to say, but... <laughs> Well, you know, karate was a weird, it was in a weird time um, when I was growing up. There was this post-karate kid and and, uh, Mick Karate Dojo, Mick Dojo, Mick Karate style that was becoming popular. And then there was the very serious styles of karate and martial arts that was becoming extremely popular. And thankfully, I was able to kind of bridge all those together. It didn't feel so manufactured when I was growing up and learning karate. I think that was helpful in organically allowing me to understand how it integrates into my life. I think that there's a there's sort of a myth out there when you start thinking about performance that that especially performance under pressure that you just sort of pick it up through osmosis, right? You do the techniques over and over again, you do the drills and and you just pick up this innate ability to sort of perform when it matters. But I think anybody that's ever um, been in a fight or a sparring match recognizes that how absolutely untrue that is, right? You can practice that punch all the time, but until you try to apply that punch to somebody that's also trying to to hit you back, man, that's a totally different universe and usually brought home by getting punched in the face. Um, (laughs) Or hit with a stick if you're right. (laughs) That seems like way scarier. Yeah, that that does seem kind of a uh, kind we of intense. We have armors. So that's a lot better. <laughs> and so you guys, you guys grew up doing that, and and you've stuck with it your whole lives, right? And both of you have have performed at various times at the at the Olympic level. What's man? What's that like? I mean, for me, it wasn't. So I was training with Olympians. So the Kodokan is a major Olympic center in Japan, where all the Olympic trainees go, and it's like two hundred people at a specific time in like a huge like play area. And, you know, you sleep in the dorms and you just train there like every single day. And uh, we also trained at uh, the Kyokushikan, which is the number one judo high school in Japan. And 
those guys, or sorry, Judo College in Japan. And those guys are way more brutal than any of the Judo Olympian guys. It's hyper-competitive. Everyone is injured. The best of the best are def definitely on the same level. But at that point, it's just a matter of luck if you're going to make to the next stage or not. And for me, I was definitely not the best of the best. I trained with all these guys, but I was more like, okay, like I'm good enough to beat a bunch of people in America <laughs> and like in, in like even national tournament level. But you go to Japan and you train against these guys and it's like, it's like a high school kid trying to train against a college athlete. And Ryan, you probably like know that gap, you know? Yeah, it's a massive <laughs> gap. It's humbling. It's insane. To say the least. I, I've kind of seen it through a couple of disciplines. I think like in, in for kendo, like I grew up, you know, doing kendo here in LA and then I moved to Japan uh, right after like fifth grade. And then kendo is like a national sport out in Japan. So you really kind of see that jump just in terms of like national pride and, and the competition. And then from there, I, I got to go to Jujokan, which is like one of the best uh, dojos there. So um, that's really kind of when I got to hone in the skills and I, I got to be on like the uh, the team at our dojo that uh, represented us at in Japan nationals and kind of seeing that level. And, and, you know, we were lucky to place like third, which was like a crazy feat. And then, um, you know, up from there, like the individual level is just like insane. And then I, like when I moved back from Japan to LA, it kind of pivoted back to, you know, running cross country and track. And luckily I had like an amazing coach and a mentor um, who's coach O'Brien, who, you know, led our high school to a few national championships, uh, like back to back, which is pretty crazy. And, um, you know, after running at that level in high school, you're like ready for college and you see that jump. And then, you know, I got, I actually got injured snowboarding in 2009 and kind of took that, um, you know, discipline of running and, and like endurance sports and, and transitioned that into more like hand cycling race chair. And then got to train with the U S Paralympic team. And then seeing that level was insane and humbling <laughs> to say the least. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I think in, in general, I just have a massive respect for a lot, a lot of the athletes from different sports and different disciplines. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, just a fan of sport in general. And <laughs> as you guys were going through all of that and, and participating in this really high level of training and, and performance, how, how much of your, how much of your training was on the sort of mental and high performance aspect of things and how much was, was technical skill or, or what does that breakdown look like at that level? It's interesting because like Ryan said, there's definitely levels to everything, but technique always beats physicality. And that's something I think they teach you in martial arts from a very young age. So as long as you get the technique down, which is infinite, which is the best part about it, because you know, you could, you could become as strong as uh, humanly possible, but technique comes from the mind. And so th those are the things that are ever expansive. So you start seeing those different levels of technique. I'm sure going into a jujitsu match with a black belt, it feels like you're drowning. You have no idea what you're supposed to do. And it's the same way with judo, it's the same way with Muay Thai, it's the same way with karate it, and, and any sport. And that's what makes sports so amazing. So let's let's flash forward in time a little bit here. and. And tell me, guys, tell me the story of Neuro. How did you guys start this? What got you interested in, in this aspect of, of, um, of human performance? Like, it, it's, it, was a, it was a story about friendship and a, about a bond of wanting to do more. And I think if we rewind that story, you know, I met Kent 
uh, in 2007, I was a freshman. Kent was a sophomore. Um, we automatically just like hit it off in class. Um, it was like a, it was a, it was a Japanese class for for bilingual speakers, and it was way too difficult for me. <laughs> so I actually dropped out after like two or three weeks uh, after getting like the first couple of assignments back, and I was like, this is this is not kind of what I signed up for. And uh, you know, you know, Kent, Kent, and I just like stayed fast friends, and I was kind of just from afar looking at how he was balancing academics and at the time he was that was when he was training with the Olympic judo team he was flying to Thailand and fighting Muay Thai tournaments out there and and I got to meet a couple of uh, his like sparring partners and training partners and it was um it was really then when you know I could see how he was marrying the two like disciplines from he was studying neuroscience in college and then you know fighting basically professionally like training like six seven hours a day so for me, I was like, how are you balancing everything? And I think Kent, you know, Kent was using his like drive for performance, but also his curiosity in neuroscience to figure out like what would be the best to put, you know, supplements, what, what supplements he would put in his body that would kind of give him that little edge. And uh, it kind of came down to like, you know, nootropics and finding these supplements that were helping aid his performance. And, you know, I would see, you know, his dorm room and there'll be a mix of different powders that he would collect over the, like, you know, and then basically get these veggie capsules oh, and make man. his own supplements. And and that was essentially version zero of Neurogum. And, and that was, I mean, decades, like a decade ago, more than a decade ago. And, and we didn't think about how we could make this more approachable or accessible because that was kind of the only option that we had was just taking it in pill form. And uh, I think Kent would, tell this next part of the story of how that evolved in, into thinking of an idea yeah. to make it more accessible. I mean, it's it's crazy because, well, Ryan went through a, a, an extremely unfortunate injury that, you know, left him paralyzed from the waist down. And it's to see someone that was performing at such a high level and, and seeing at least like the physical aspects of Ryan be taken away from him per se, from my perspective was, you know, absolutely devastating. But the amazing thing about Ryan is, you know, it's the same, same way with martial arts, as long as you have the mind, then anything is possible. And Ryan was able to, to get back into the racing spirit, train with the Paralympic team, continuously keep moving. And after college, he comes, you know, like we're just like hanging out because we're still friends and we're like, all right, let's go get scuba certified. That's something we always wanted to do and always talked about in college. And during our scuba certification trip, uh, we were taking the pills that I had mixed in my dorm room or, and now I'm mixing at Ryan's house or wherever I was staying. And uh, realizing that people look at you very, very weird if uh, you're popping pills in public. So, you know, Ryan and I kind of looked at each other and uh, we married kind of the the approachability of gum with the effectiveness of supplements and decided to put those two together so people don't look at us funny anymore. <laughs> and that was the, the birth of Nero. And, you know, now here we are five, well, that's like seven years later now, seven, eight years later. So you guys, you guys already had the spirit of, you clearly had the background of, of studying performance and studying your own performance and learning how to put yourself into these high pressure situations and to come through when it really mattered. And then you sort of brought to that this other aspect of 
almost like self-experimentation, right? Which is something that's come up a lot on the podcast that, that the people that tend to perform the best in high pressure situations are the ones that are able to run experiments on themselves and that view themselves as a work in progress, not a finished product. And that are able to have that discipline of like, yeah, let's, let's like lift the hood up and see what's going on under here. And like, what are we going to do about it? And you, you yeah. have those two things. But then all of a sudden you're trying to apply this in a really different arena, which is which is entrepreneurship, which is which is, you know, um, a space that uh, has a totally different pressure profile. Well, I guess I should say it seems like it has a different pressure profile than somebody trying to hit you with a sword, although maybe it depends on the day, <laughs> like how that feels. But I, I mean, how how easily did those lessons translate for you as you guys were starting this company? I mean, when you're when you're facing you know, the, the high pressure moments of, you know, things either, either flying or failing. How did you tackle those moments? Well, I love I mean, you said actually about the work in progress. That's actually, you know, that's so yeah. true. It's like, you're always honing your craft and there's, there's no finish line. You just keep moving that goalpost forward. I think, uh, in a lot of ways that that's kind of representative of how we started the company. When, when we first thought of this as an idea, it took us a year to get, you know, a bunch of different samples that we felt comfortable enough to where we can even launch it via like an Indiegogo, like crowdfunding platform. And since then, we've gone through like more than like 30 plus iterations of our original formula to try to make it one like more effective, case better, delivery method. Um, and I, I don't think we'll ever stop. Like, I don't think we'll reach an, a recipe hopefully soon that like we're I mean, we're rock solid on right now that we're so confident the product that we have out now compared to what we, you know, launched with like five years ago um, and like R&D like more than six years ago. But I think there's going to be a continuous refine, refining period. And I think that comes from a lot of the discipline from just even like martial arts and both of our backgrounds. Like the level of perseverance in general too. It's with martial arts you, or racing or anything, you just have to persevere. And entrepreneurship is definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done relative to everything else with martial arts and just like on a team there's there's so many obviously there's a lot of factors on race day or competition or um with entrepreneurship there's there's all those challenges and and sometimes more there's different different angles that it comes at you and i think like kent was saying it's like perseverance like if we hit this dead end not give up but like turn back around and see like which other you know doors we can go through to like figure out a solution yeah it, it strikes me that there's a lot of similarities there between what we do in the emergency department and and that idea in the sense that that in sports competitions you at least have a sense of sort of when the competition's going to start you're able to gear yourself up and train your physiology and have everything sort of ready to go optimally at this moment to the best that you can um, entrepreneurship like you know, emergency medicine, you don't always get to choose when a crisis comes, right? You don't always get to choose when no. you're, when you're thrown into a test and, and you have to be able to react and pivot very quickly like that. And to, to find your, to find your path forward, that same spirit that you guys are talking about, about, you know, realizing like, Hey, this is our, this is our calling to do this work and to dig in and to continue to beat on our craft over and over again, and to, to sharpen ourselves and to get better under pressure. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's why we show up over and over again. And, and that's the whole point, obviously, of the emergency mind, right, is to take these lessons about applying knowledge under pressure from from everybody that's that's applied all of their knowledge under pressure over and over again and smash them together and come up with sort of whatever the next wave of human performance is. You know, as you guys know from all of your backgrounds, like like the ability to to do these techniques, to to 
fix these issues is so different when you're doing it when there's people trying to punch you or scream at you or when you're looking at a bank account that has almost zero in it and you're trying to figure out how you're going to eat right afterwards. We all have our journeys. We all <laughs> yeah. we have our yeah. different forms of emergencies we have to deal yeah. with, I guess. Well, speaking of which, how, how are you guys training these days? Like when you look at your personal training and, and specifically as you think about it in relation to, to, you know, how you're learning to perform better under the different like evolving pressure profiles you find yourself in, how are you training these days? Within the company, if, to relate back to Nero, every single one of us is so oriented around fitness because we know that fitness and mental health kind of go hand in hand that twice a week, the entire team just works out together. That's oh, just like that's a awesome. thing we do as a company. <laughs> and I mean, outside that, like I, I, I personally go on hikes. I was, uh, just went home for the first time in a long time. And my sister does Olympic weightlifting and, uh, she actually, yeah, like trained for nationals and everything, uh, for that sport. So she was teaching me lifting techniques and I, I was doing that for the last few days. It's hard to, at least for me, maintain my discipline when it's just doing YouTube workouts every single day. And there's this urge to get out, but uh, as long as I, at least I, cogn I cognitively place it into like a utility, it's like, okay, working out is a utility that I have to take care of every single day, then, you know, we'll, we'll keep getting through what the state we're in. What about mentally? What are you guys digging into? What are you, what are you reading? What's, what's sharpening your, your, your sword right now? I love listening to like Alan Watts or some, like, I love listening to philosophy. It just gives me some balance in life amidst like all the chaos. So I think I take a step back and, and I try to listen to, you know, a lot of these like different outlooks in life and, and realizing that a lot of it's, it's perspective and, and, and trying to take that as a frame of reference and how we can apply that into the company as well. Um, yeah. But there's, there's some gems out there in terms of, you know, perspective. And I think, especially during these challenging times, like how do we rise up together as a team and, and how do we carry like actions within ourselves, um, you know, to try to make it, you know, a little bit of a better place to live for everybody. I'm, I kind of get immersed in a lot of that. Nice. I of revisiting fiction a lot, actually, more than like self-help books. I feel mm. like self-help books have been kind of <laughs> like, uh, this does not fit the context of today. How do you balance the the physical and the, and the mental? Because after an emergency, like like a whole it's day, exhausted. Day, just probably exhausting. Yeah, it's um it's an evolving challenge for sure. And I think um you know if you take uh if you take like for instance the the folks that are just starting their journey to be ER doctors that are starting this week, right? They're just they're coming in as brand new interns all across um all across the country. We're we're recording this right now, sort of the end of end of June, beginning of July. When you're first starting out, uh, every decision that you make costs so much energy to do, right? And that's not unique to emergencies, but you have all this pressure on you about, um, you know, I remember the first time I, I wrote an order for a medication and I'm, I was like sweating bullets about like, am I dosing this one antibiotic correctly? And, right. you know, and it's just so overwhelming and you're just completely exhausted afterwards. And over time, as you get better and better at your skills, the amount of energy each decision costs you thankfully goes down and you're able to make more complicated decisions and to make them better. Um, but there are still shifts where, uh, where you walk out and it's just, it's just overwhelming. There's, um, there's suffering or death to a level that is, is incredibly hard and you walk away from that and you have to sort of learn over time to rebalance your physiology and rebalance your mind in order to get up and do it again the next morning. Um, 
there's certainly not a one size fits all answer for that. But from myself and everybody else that that I have trained through with this, um, it, it always tends to involve some mix of you know, internal work, reflection, meditation, breathing work, and external work of physical activity in one form, one form or another. Um, I think it's particularly hard these days because, uh, you know, a lot of the things that most of us rely on are closed as we're trying to protect ourselves against against this, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. So um, right. jujitsu is not an option, right? Uh, for a long time right. in L.A., uh, running on the beach uh, was not um was not an option. Uh, and there's a bunch of things like that that I think we all rely on. And so it's been uh, a challenge for everybody to find these new creative ways to, to find these other pillars to support themselves with it. Um, but, but Kent, similar to what you were saying, you know, I, uh, I, I work out every day to, to some extent, right? You have to sort of like have that, that utility function in there to, to keep training, um, to keep yourself sane more than anything. And I'm really looking forward to it being safe enough to go back to jujitsu which I think will be incredible. It's, it's a matter of time. And, and I think that the sacrifices, you know, in a way it's easier for those of us in emergency, in the emergency department to recognize the utility of those sacrifices because we see the people coming in from COVID uh, infections that are struggling to breathe, young, healthy people that are, that are sick and dying. And I think that's yeah. a lot harder to feel that sacrifice when you're not seeing that. But you know, yeah. it just like as many times as I can, like thank you to everybody for, for, social distancing and staying away and wearing masks and, and, and decreasing this. I mean, it's the, it's the work that makes all of this possible. But I think that, that, you know, how I balance my ability to perform under pressure definitely evolves over time, right? I'm better at it now than I was when I started. And that's not just a matter of technique. That's not just a matter of knowing how to do the emergency better. It's a matter of studying it uh, directly. It's a matter of being right. a student of high performance, essentially, uh, which leads me to something I'm like really excited to ask you guys. If you could build a school from the ground up, if you could build a school that took people in and tried to teach them uh, the highest levels of human performance, what would you put in that school? What would that look like? Actually, one thing that I'm so eternally grateful for, for my parents is that you know, growing up in an Asian household, like, you know, stereotypically, they're thinking that it's all about studying and academics. My parents put equal emphasis on like athletics as well, and team teamwork and team sports. And um, my dad always told me that you'll learn more from like working with a team than you can like individually. And so I think if I were to bring a, like a school up, I, I would have more like sports or athletic oriented not just like an hour of PE and six hours of study, but a little bit more something that's like team oriented, working in teams, figuring out like what your role can be. Um, because like working as a team is always better than an individual effort, in my opinion. And so um, I think that's how, how I would build a school is more like even emphasis on, on mind and body. You know, creativity or at least the arts to me has been, I feel infinitely valuable in experience banning my thought process, being able to think beyond, like Ryan said, you know, growing up in an Asian household, it is what you learn inside a book. And that doesn't, you know, no offense to certain doctors, but the best doctors that I've ever interacted with are the people that are able to think beyond the text that's written and connect with people in a very human way. Within creativity, within, like I was saying earlier, reading fiction and being able to read into the text beyond just a self-help book, which tells you and just lays out things on the surface is I think a vital skill that is unfortunately 
tends to be missing a lot of time and tends to be missing very much so the time in Asian cultures, which is uh, more of a structured test-based uh, societal system that they operate on. So as long as those creative, there's no such thing as like, uh, like a band geek anymore, you know, like it's, I really hope like in the future, music, art, literature, and reading into depth in literature is explored. And those are things that I'd probably put emphasis on in a school. And would you guys mix in some of the uh, the sort of neuroscience training that both of you have had, like thinking about thinking and thinking about how the brain works? Okay. So if I were to answer this, sorry, just to not keep rambling, <laughs> but you know, Politicians in the past used to be a medley of philosophers, lawyers, businessmen, artists, and it was within that time period, it was the comprehensive look at everything that was going on so you could get an understanding of each piece of culture from society and build something from that. Unfortunately, now it's typically just an actual politician, a businessman or a lawyer, so it's become skewed pretty heavily by integrating so many different layers of thought without with control but also without control as long as that thought process is pushed out for people pushing people to think much deeper pushing people to just think more empathetically about the people around them i think cognitively the stress is going to get reduced across the board and people's performance is going to go up like as well. So redesigning, um, redesigning a focus towards community and towards a more inclusive vision of community will will improve our performance as a society. Am oh, I capturing that right? Yeah, yeah less, yeah. less stress based. Like like Ryan was saying with like teams, and I think when you know your place in many ways, you know you're less stressed. And stress is like the biggest determining factor on performance, as. I think uh, most athletes know. So, okay, so, so far we've got a school and our school has like team-based sports. We have arts, we have science, we have deep, deep dives into literature and understanding our place in, in community <laughs> and in the greater sense of history. Like, sign me up, I'm totally in for this. Um, Plants everywhere, it's green exactly. also. <laughs> exactly. This is a super exciting vision and I'd love to go back in time and, and go to this school. But but if you transport us back into sort of now and, and you look at people that are listening to this that are, are maybe saying, man, these are cool, these are cool things. I wanna dig in, I wanna learn more. Um, what's your advice to that person? What do you turn your friends onto when they come to you and say, hey, I, I'm really interested in, in uh, being a better version of myself, of, of improving my performance across, across the board in my life? The largest barrier anyone has to get over is themselves. And that's it. And, you know, I have friends that are like, oh, but like, I don't know how to draw. Like, oh, like my extent of drawing is stick figures. And you just have to ask them, like, have you tried drawing for a month straight, an hour a day? Have you tried practicing? And then all of a sudden you start shifting gears. And I mean, even if you see, you know, one of the most famous artists of all time, Picasso, and his later styles, you realize that the deconstruction is what makes it so great. Like as long as you get over that barrier of self and confidently approach something without being arrogant and continue to be a student at that, I think anything is possible. I love that. Get started, do it for, do it every day for a month and like throw yourself into it and, and see what throw happens. Yourself into it. 
Yeah, it's true. I'm guilty of that. When your your art example of stick figures, I'm like, oh yeah, that's you know that's my extent of art. But if you really dig into it and you, you teach yourself like certain skills and and shading and I don't know like contour, like you you get you get a lot better. It's you already know the vocabulary <laughs> and you practice those things, you know. Yeah. I watch you. I watch you do it from afar. I mean, Ken's an insane muralist. He's one of the official muralists for the city of LA. So I, I just, uh, I just marvel at his work. There's um, there's this story, and I, man, I, I don't know if the story is true or if this is a just a parable. But there's the story of a of a professor in a pottery class, and she takes the class at the beginning and says, okay, half of you guys, um, your entire grade in this pottery class is going to be to create one perfect pot. And the other half, your grade, you will simply be graded on the number of like kilograms of pots that you produce. You just throw the most pots, yep. that's it. That's your only job. Um, and then at the end, we're gonna, we're gonna have sort of like a, an unveiling of everything. So the students divide into their teams and one group spends forever trying to make one pot and the other group is just throwing as many pots as they possibly can. Uh, and then you judge the pots at the end and, and sure enough, the best pots come not from the group that tried to make perfection, but from the group that actually just put iterations in, that just put the work in over and over and over again. And I think that that's probably not just true for pottery, but life in general, right? Like what you're saying, like, like the magic comes when you have the discipline to uh, put the repetitions in and keep putting the repetitions in and keep experimenting. And you combine that discipline with that sense that we were talking about earlier of, of a goal of being somebody that experiments on yourself, that believes that you can change. Um, and you smash those two things together. And then, man, that's, you know, magic happens. Totally. I think if you're chasing perfection or if you're trying to get be perfect on the first get-go, like you're just going to set yourself up for disappointment. But you keep practicing that craft and you'll be surprised how far you come. Um, I think at least like from the business side, like can I look back and, you know, like our biggest problems now, like we couldn't have even fathomed or imagined what those problems would have been like five years ago, you know, having, you know, supply chain issues of not having an inventory, you know, things like that where you, you look back on it. Um, and if, if we were so worried about making the product be perfect or taste perfect on the get-go, I, I don't think we would have ever started. So having a product that was good enough is, is sometimes often the best, best way to start. Yeah, that's 100% true in uh, the emergency world as well, right? If you, if you are waiting for everything to be perfect, your patients are going to suffer. You need to, you need yeah. to, to favor yeah. movement and execution over perfection. And that's been a surprisingly common theme among all of the ER doctors I've interviewed on this podcast is, is coming to internally coming to grips with that that the idea that perfection is not your goal, that actually execution and delivery of care is your goal and understanding right. like, like how you hold that thought that there is no perfection along with the idea that you want to continue to become a master of your craft over time, whatever that craft is. And, and to, to be that, that vision where, yeah, I'm mastering what I'm doing, which, which is, you know, as we all learn growing up in martial arts, like the story of all of the martial arts masters, right? The white, the black belt becoming the white belt again, that you are continuing your, your growth and your journey, um, not because there's anywhere to go, but just because you're, you're digging deeper into your own self. Students of life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for finishing that. Cause I'm not sure what the end, <laughs> the end of that sentence was. But... It's crazy. But, yeah. I can't imagine with ER, like, like you have to be fast. And, and there's and something new every time. It is uh, yeah. it is fast and pressurized and full of uncertainty. Um, wow. 
And I think that's part of why uh, why I absolutely love it. <laughs> and, and and I do think there's a very natural mix between martial arts training and emergency medicine. I think a lot of the mindsets are very similar and the same things that that allow you to um, study technique and then apply it in, you know, in free sparring or free rolling or whatever is, is very similar to learning the way that medicine works in theory and then trying to apply it to, you know, this um, crashing patient in front of you. Guys, I want to be I want to be mindful of our time. We're, we're coming up on the end of this. And, and so I want to I want to put you through our our traditional end here, which is which is what what challenge do you have for people that are listening to this for either in the emergency world or outside the emergency world? What do you what do you want them to walk away and, and go do? The challenge I've been giving myself on a daily basis, and I've been doing this for a little over a year now, and it's definitely helped, is think about three things that you are grateful for, and that's it. And I have a little yellow notebook. Uh, it's usually next to my bed, but it's not here right now. But I have a, yellow, a little yellow notebook, and I just write down three things I'm just grateful for. And it's made me just think of everything I do in my life and think about why I like those things. <laughs> and, and why they've shaped me, whether good or bad. So uh, it's it's just like one little thing. I skip some days, but I, I try to be consistent. It's just one little thing that's a good challenge that has shaped me for the better over the last year and a half. Yeah, it just shows like, it, I think that's a, a, a way of practicing gratitude, like writing it physically down and then reminding yourself like, oh, like I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z. That's really important. Yeah. I think for me, I think a challenge would be trying to do something new. For me, I think like especially during quarantine, it was like I didn't cook for like almost two and a half, three years, and and going back in the kitchen and realizing like, oh, I actually really like sourcing these ingredients. I like making something from scratch and, and uh, you know creating something and sharing that. It has been really fun, and um, also bought a bunch of blocks of wood to start wood carving again, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't know, just nice, doing man. something new. I think that would be the challenge. Just like, you know, if, realizing that there is ex, there's some extra time. If you have extra time, picking up something and, and, and doing something new. Kent, Ryan, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, just what a total thank honor you. to talk to you guys. Thanks for having us. Likewise, man. It's awesome. Okay, folks, that brings us to the end of this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something useful that you can use next time you find yourself in an emergency or a crisis. Again, if you want to dig deeper into a lot of the concepts that we covered here, sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter, Knowledge Under Pressure. It is free and it is awesome. You can join by going to www.emergencymind.com slash sign up. Also, as a reminder, our mission here at The Emergency Mind is to dig into lessons around applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide medical advice. Our opinions, as expressed on this podcast or elsewhere, are our own and not necessarily those of our employers or the hospitals at which we work. So keep up the good work, keep training, and good luck out there.